Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Welcome to Sex and Science Hour. Well, Brian, they say video killed the radio star, but apparently we've received an email that claims that monogamy killed the penis bone. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to say we killed the video star. I'd be like, wow, all right. Well, (laughs) I mean, we could. We are that good. I think podcasting's doing it, but anyway. I think podcasting is is awesome. Yes. Go podcasting. I just love podcasts. I'm a big fan. I I listen to meta podcasts, which are like podcasts about podcasting. This is a thing. Yeah. You know, if anyone ever wants to do, I don't want to spend much time on this. I'm sorry. But like, (laughs) like there's, there's a show I listen to called Schmoes No, and they have like a show on Sunday that's all about that episode of the previous week of Schmoes No. And I'm like, wow, I wonder if anybody ever did that for Sex and Science Hour or Sovereign Tech. That'd be amazing. Like, like, just get people on. So what did you think about that episode of Sex and Science Hour? Like, you can have whole Oh, it's like a reaction it. to it? Yeah. I think that'd be fun. That's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, that is right. really interesting. Sorry, I don't want or to Or like this week in podcasts. Like, I could totally do, I could totally put together a show that was like just talking about what I listened to that week on my favorite podcast, personally curated. Million dollar ideas. Yep, they are. But anyway, um, back Apparently to the... Apparently the penis bone was not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was called the money shot. That's why it got uh, filtered out by nature. So we actually got an email about this, and it said, I can't wait to hear what Brian has to say about this. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and, and the article was from Gizmodo, of course, because we decided we're going to call it that. Um, yes. Not by George Dvorsky this time, but it's by Eve Pizer. New research suggests monogamy killed the penis bone in humans. And it's filed under, oh, penis bone, where art thou? (laughs) (laughs) Although we call erections boners, she says, anybody who has basic familiarity with human anatomy knows our slang deceives us. For unlike most mammals, men have no penis bones. For decades, scientists have wondered, why? Why no penis bone? (laughs) A new study published in Proceedings of the Royal Society might finally explain the mystery of what killed the penis bone, monogamy. (laughs) To explain how, i got to lay out some key baculum facts. That's the scientific name for the penis bone. For all the PB noobs out there, penis bones are diverse in shape and size across many different mammals. The baculum of the walrus is two feet long. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) In the bonobo, it is eight millimeters. In this new study, scientists set out to trace the evolutionary history of the baculum to account for the vast differences in penis bone length amongst animals. The study ultimately discovered a, quote, clear relationship between the bone's length and a species' promiscuity. The more promiscuous species had longer bacula, writes The Economist. 
Kit Opie, a postdoctoral research fellow at the University College London who led the study, tells The Guardian that penis bone length was longer in males that engaged in, quote, prolonged intromission, meaning when species take more than three minutes to mate. Well, I mean, we uh, we don't want no three-minute man, right? Yeah, here. you don't want a minute man. <laughs> you want the 60-minute man. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's just an old saying. I'm not... Yeah, go. <laughs> Males use, quote, prolonged intermission to keep the female away from his competition while he impregnates her. Well, that makes sense, I guess. Matilda Brindle, the study's co-author, explains it like this on the conservation. Far from being simply a nice way to spend an afternoon, prolonged intermission like this is a way for a male to prevent a female from sneaking off and mating with anyone else before his sperm has a chance to work its magic. What scientists now theorize is that humans lost their penis bone when monogamy became prevalent about 1.9 million years ago. They no longer had the pressing need to keep away the competition by fucking for a long time. After all, the average, quote, the average duration from penetration to ejaculation for human males is less than two minutes, Brindle reminds us. Dudes, get it together, she says. <laughs> Not, nevertheless, despite the grumblings of lonely hearts, human males simply don't have intense sexual competition because human females tend to mate with one male at a time. And that's why you don't have a dick bone. Good night, boys. <laughs> so did you get that, Brian? Do you, do, you, do you need me to summarize it or did you understand what no, they were kind I, of saying? I've got the gist. Um, I understand. Like, I get the idea of the baculum and, and what that's all about. Like, mm -hmm. dogs have them. You know, I... I, I I get the idea. Dogs also have this other thing, which is written about a lot in like werewolf porn and stuff like that, where they tell I, me more. I, <laughs> I didn't so know. So I've heard. <laughs> not that I know. Asking not for a friend. I, not that I'm narrating any of these stories on Audible.com. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, wolves have this thing, or dogs. Wolves are kind of dog, right? Canine. They have this thing where when they have sex with the female. Their penis swells up when they come, and they can't actually physically remove it from her vagina because right. it's so swollen, and it, it makes this like almost like a butt plug, but in the vagina. And they can't get the two dogs apart. It's actually a kind of a problem because sometimes if dogs start humping each other and start mating, you literally can't rip the dogs apart. It would be it would hurt them if you were to try to remove them from each other. So you have to let them finish. <laughs> And people have that problem with their dogs if they're not spayed or neutered. Right, right, right. Okay. So, so yeah, they have an extra thing to basically, like this article said, keep the female occupied so she doesn't run off and fuck another guy and get pregnant with his babies. I don't buy it because, like, it, it sort of, it sort of, it seems like it's making the claim that then women are not designed to have sex for a long period of time either. But then it would seem the way that female sexuality had evolved is that, you know, for her to orgasm, which is right. kind it takes of the longer. Yeah. It's the incentive mm -hmm. to, you know, to copulate for her. Yeah. yeah. For her, then like, like that, that doesn't make sense. You know, if she's yeah. supposed to go for a while, but he's not, I mean, I mean, maybe that just falls into, well, she's meant to quote unquote meant to, mm -hmm. I'm not saying what I think, um, you know, that she's meant to just like sleep with a bunch of dudes. Yeah. And actually, I mean, it said monogamy came into prevalence about 1.9 million years ago. I completely dispute that. I oh, mean, yeah. 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 If like if monogamy came into exist or came into popularity at a certain point in the past, I'm pretty sure it was 
way more recent than that, like maybe within the last 2000 years, I would say. And even then it's like, well, monogamy is this thing that we say that everybody should do, but nobody really actually does it. I mean, the rates of cheating among humans are so high. There's so many uh, babies born where the father or the one they think is the father, the male that the female is supposed to be monogamous with is not really the father. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's fair to say, I think any like modern idea of monogamy came into construct or, you know, or became a construct. It's a cultural thing. Well, it came in at the same time that language kind of came in or that like that, that any kind of like real language came in. And when real language came in, you know, we're talking from maybe Sumer up or Egypt or something like that. When we know a lot of those languages and guess what? In those languages, part and parcel of the terms for women and wife and all that is the concept of property. Yeah. Is that they are property. Okay. So Oh, great. Monogamy is so wonderful. Oh, it's wonderful to treat women like they're not a human being. Yeah. Like, like that, that's, that's ridiculous. And they say monogamy, but the male is not, it, nothing about that says that the male is monogamous to the female. It's only that the female is monogamous to the male. Which I would argue, actually, if, so if, I mean, is it a given that, that humans had a penis bone at one point? I, I assume that. That's... I guess there's probably skeletons. I've heard, now I don't know if this is really true, but I've heard that there actually are some men, like especially of Japanese descent, that mm-hmm. have like a remnant of a penis bone in their skeleton. I don't know if that's really true, but I've heard that in a couple of places. Okay. Well, even if it's true, there's two, again, there's two facts that really stand against this whole thing. All right. One is, is that, all right, maybe if the guy's meant to finish quick, again, the woman is not. Like that, that is abundantly clear. And if it wasn't clear in your science books from even 10 years ago, I'm sorry. Unfortunately, doctors didn't find it important to study female pleasure up until the past <laughs> 10 years. Okay. And I mean, this is yeah, a reality. Like, I can think of some r- machines that make me come within two minutes, but Ooh. never a man. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Brian. But <laughs> no, that's a- <laughs> it's just, you know. That, hey, I, I take no offense. Believe me. All right. But anyway, so, so women, you know, it, it there is that. I think you can, you can see the theory, the possibility, you know, that, that they've evolved, you know, to go a longer amount of time. So the women don't have to be monogamous at all, even if the men finish quick. So that's bullshit, right? Right on its face. Second thing is that, okay, fine. A guy can finish quick. Guess what? He can come again really fast. Okay. I I bring up this fact all the time. Millions of sperm are ready to go inside of five minutes to an hour on average for every man. Why did they evolve that if they were just meant to stick with like one person and what, they're just going to fuck the same woman that many times a day? No, that's ridiculous. It's because everybody's designed to be stooping everybody probably, <laughs> you know, I mean. I, well, and the refractory period is shorter with novelty, with a new partner. Right. So, you know, it, it encourages like lots of different partners. Yeah. So this is horseshit that, that, <laughs> this, that it's monogamy. I can think of reasons yeah, why it would I th- go away, but it ain't monogamy. I can see some holes in it. Another one that I thought of is, Brian, you've read the book Sex at Dawn, so have I. We yeah. actually read it together and discussed it we had like yeah. a little sex at dawn book club together <laughs> Ooh, oh did we yeah wow it was one of like one of our first conversations it was yeah it was before we it was when we were just friends yeah, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> before we got together and if, of course if you if you listen to the show and you don't know it's brian and i are together we are live together <laughs> we've been together for four years at this point yes um <laughs> but anyway we had a little sex at dawn book book club and one of the things that that book harped on it's all about these alternative theories about human sexuality 
and that we're not actually as monogamous as we're maybe made out to be or projected mm-hmm. to be by anthropologists who who totally project their own Western ideas of like marriage and and um, fidelity onto other cultures that may not necessarily fit. And they even project them onto animals. Like yeah. they all describe baboons and stuff as being married or pair bonded, which Ridiculous. is like total bullshit. So anyway, um, I, I think there's really something to it that the the biases of the observer really affect the observation you know, in Mm -hmm. any kind of, even in so-called hard science and like, anyway. So anyway. No um, pun intended. (laughs) Yeah, no no pun intended. Um, (laughs) So anyway, one of the things in Sex at Dawn, one of the big deals that they harped on to show that human beings are really not meant to be monogamous is the fact that males, male humans have, um, it's like, they're designed to engage in sperm competition. If you look at the shape of the penis, it's almost like a plunger mm-hmm. that can, when it's fucking a woman's vagina, can kind of pull other sperm that may be in there out. It can sort of plunge it out, <laughs> right? right <laughs> like right. you would plunge a toilet or so. I don't mean to like. Maybe that's not best. Not the best analogy to draw, but <laughs> it's kind of like that. If you look at the anatomical shape with the head and and so forth, and it creates a vacuum. Second of all. The uh, the sperm themselves, they have this this crazy motility, you know, and they're, you know, like they're kind of designed to to beat each other out. There's tons and tons of sperm, first mm-hmm. of all. So it's like, OK, if you can't beat the other guy by physical removal of his sperm, you can beat it by having better swimmers and by having more cells of sperm than he has. Right. And like there's billions of cells, you know, there's to- tons of it in a little teaspoon of jizz. So Gizmodo, you should know about this. I mean, come on. You're supposed to be the authority on this. Yeah, I, I know Richard Dawkins likes to bring up that point about sperm, about how it's kind of a competition in that like yeah. you, are, you are literally born a winner because like like you... Because whichever one fertilized you is really good. Yeah, is really good at what they did, So, <laughs> which is great. Well, I guess if your mom fucks a lot of guys, then it just makes you even better because Ooh. the best has won out. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, like if you look at that sort of anatomical and biological evidence that we just talked about, the yeah. shape of the penis and the sperm competition, um, it it actually seems like, yeah, that's evidence humans are not designed to be monogamous. Yeah. It's kind of expected that there's going to be competition for like competition among sperm. Yeah. So yeah. that if that's the case, then the female is obviously not being monogamous. So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is this is hilarious. This really is the case that you brought up, Stephanie, very well. Where you know this is people kind of transposing their Western ideals onto you know a time when look there were no ideals. Like I mean, you know, we're talking thousands, if not millions. Like they're talking. Well, millions they're talking of years two ago. million years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that that's that's just ridiculous. And you know, another point I want to bring up quickly that I love to talk about is the the Tolba supervolcano. Uh, that happened mm. 70,000 years ago. And theoretically, potentially, the human species was down to about 2,000 to 1,500 people. Yeah, there was a potential huge genetic bottleneck. Right, because this Tolba super, this Tolba super volcano blew and just like wiped out so much life. Mm-hmm. And humans, I mean, like there just wasn't enough for the human population to really survive. And, you know, we're talking just 70,000 years ago. Forget 2 million years ago. Yeah. Okay. Now, if people were monogamous and you only had 1,500 people left. Yeah. How did they repop? How did we get back to 8 billion or however many? Yeah. The how popul- in the God- 7 billion. <laughs> right. How in the goddamn hell did you even get Egypt out of that? You know, we're talking populations of, of the millions, mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands or millions. Like, that's that's ridiculous to say that monogamy has always been the name of the game. 
Um, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with monogamy. Don't confuse us. Okay. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of evidence for monogamy too, right? Sure. Like just the capacity that we have for sort of pair bonding and oxytocin and stuff like that. Sure. But it's a choice. Yeah. And, and to an extent, like there's variation in how strongly people pair bond as yep, well. That's right? very true. Very true. I mean, yeah, it's case by case. You know, but like, please don't do don't do bad science and say, oh, there's no more penis bone because monogamy. When look, you have so many events throughout history. You have so much uh, very good research done that says, no, that that just doesn't add up. You're only looking at part of a puzzle here mm-hmm. and it just doesn't fly. Yeah. Maybe the women stopped fucking the guys who monopolized them because they're big penis bone. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I mean, you know. So if you have too big of, I mean, women get, you know, they get damaged down there. From, oh, yeah. I mean, it sounds horrible. Yeah. Right. I, I, that's why I'm like hesitant to even say it because it's so bad. Yeah. 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 Uh, but, but you know, that happens. I mean, there, I could see a good reason why that would evolve out, um, you know, from, from the species. But Yeah. I don't know. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting, right? Oh, it's very interesting. I mean, I, I'm I'm glad it got brought up. I'm glad it got sent in, and I'm honored that people want my opinion on the matter. And of course, you're Stephanie. Obviously. <laughs> I mean, you're the PhD here. That's what Brian had to say about the matter. Yeah, it's horseshit. There. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is Sex and Science Hour. More coming up. Three baby. No, sorry, three parent babies. Oh, we're really deconstructing monogamy now. Stay tuned. All right, time for a little promo here. I would like to encourage people real quick to take a minute and subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. Put it in your podcast feed. We've got an RSS feed. We've got an iTunes link. And we've got, uh, you can follow us on Twitter. They're all linked to on our website, which is sexandsciencehour.com. It's very prominent. You'll find all that stuff. And the reason we ask you to do that is because we want to keep in touch with you. And if you see us post our shows on those venues, you can actually share them with your friends and encourage your friends to listen to our show too. And we get a lot of people actually sharing our show every week. So thank you very much for that because that really helps us. And do follow us on Twitter at Sex and Science Hour, right? No, I it, I think oh, it's, it's at, at Sex, sex Science, Science Hour. Hour is our Sorry. Twitter handle. Yeah, no and. <laughs> at Sex Science Hour. But our website is sexandsciencehour.com. Twitter, Sex Science Hour. It's all there on our website. Just go to our website, sexandsciencehour.com. There you go. Hey, welcome back to Sex and Science Hour. That was a campy little promo. Yeah, I mean, campy. We, we don't have time to really do a... Th- we don't have time to, like, really plan those out and fully produce commercials and stuff. I do that shit all day, so <laughs> I'm not doing it again for our dinky little podcast. But actually, it's not so dinky anymore. I mean, we're getting... It, our podcast is growing. Uh, ever since we brought back the show, you know, I figured it would be off to kind of a slow start. Sure. We started uh, season season two of Sex and Science Hour after, like, a two-year hiatus from our yeah. podcast. But we brought it back eventually, as we said we would. Uh, it just took us a little longer than we thought. And now we're on se- uh, season three, actually, like, halfway into season three and um you know i'm really happy with the growth that the show has had in the number of listeners and the interactions we get and the emails we get and the people who use our stuff.sexandsciencehour.com link to be part of our after show and go shopping at the same time love it (laughs) 
All right, Brian. So there's uh, an article that we have about three-parent babies. This also comes from a listener email. We had some great listener um, show prep suggestions this week, so we're just going with that because <laughs> that makes my job easier, you know. To yeah. <laughs> When we get good show prep suggestions, quality show prep suggestions from our listeners, you know, it makes my job easier because then I don't have to go scour the internet in search of show prep. Yeah, because there's a lot of fake news out there, folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not really the reason. And I mean, truthfully, I am reading science and sex articles all the time anyway. Yep. So it's not really like a ton of extra work, but it, it helps to know like what people who actually listen to the show want to hear about. So yes. that's why we like it when you send us suggestions. And of course, if you go to our website, sexandsciencehour.com, you can use our contact form to anonymously send us show prep suggestions or or listener questions or whatever you want. So anyway, um, this is from the newscientist.com, a little more of a sciencey source. Exclusive world's first baby born with three parent technique. Now we have talked about this, and this is from September 2016, so it's new. Um, we have actually talked about this technique before on the show. Um, basically, it involves fertilizing an egg, but I think like taking basically the mitochondria from a, a third parent potentially. Mm -hmm. And this works because normally you inherit the mitochondria you get from your mother because the sperm is such a small package. It just basically has room for the DNA and not much else. But with the egg, um, the unfertilized egg, you get mitochondria in there that then um, multiply and divide. And I guess, I guess in that sense, multiply and divide mean kind of the same thing. They, <laughs> they, they multiply and divide, and then you get the mitochondria that become the fetus's mitochondria, but they all came from the mother. Yeah. So, and the mitochondria have their own genome. They have like some a little bit of DNA that's in the mitochondria. They're like the power factories of the cell. They provide energy and they do some, you know, like reactions that create ATP that make energy for the cells that your body needs to function. Um, but that DNA can have fuck ups and mistakes in it. And so you can get diseases where because you only inherited your mitochondria from your mother, you only have one copy of those mitochondrial genes. And if one of them's fucked, then you're fucked because you don't have it. So <laughs> so you have to replace the mitochondria. So you can get these diseases that, that come from right. bad mitochondria, and you have to replace the mitochondria if you want that. And that's the three-parent baby technique, I think. So we'll, we'll let them explain it, too, in just a review. But here's what the article says. It's a boy. Five-month-old boy is the first baby to be born using a new technique that incorporates DNA from three people, New Scientist reveals. It's great news and a huge deal, said Dusko Illich at King's College London, who wasn't involved in the work. It's revolutionary. The controversial technique, which allows parents with rare genetic mutations to have healthy babies, has only been legally approved in the UK. But the, the birth of the child, whose Jordanian parents were treated by a US-based team in Mexico. <laughs> wow, there's a lot international. Yeah. There's multiculturalism for you. <laughs> I like that. It's only legal in the UK. The doctors who did it were from the US. They did it in Mexico, and the parents were Jordanian. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's cool. International love. Yeah. <laughs> Should fast forward progress around the world, say embryologists. And I heard something about this that, that in the UK, they actually made a law that says a baby can legally have three parents if they use this technique. I think it's true in California as well. Uh, really? But I don't know if it's through this technique. Oh, I think there's just like kind of a more broad law that was passed that says you, that, they, that a child can have recognized three parents. Wow, that's really interesting because, so, I mean, I'm thinking it could apply to people who use this genetic technique to have healthy babies if they're carrying a, 
uh, mitochondrial mm-hmm. baddie gene, but also to, you know, maybe three person relationships. If yep. they all want to have a baby together and they don't know who the father is. Well, I think that's what a lot of people or some people were looking for. Yeah. Like they yeah. were wanting that. Or I mean, you know, surrogates. I mean, there's lots of lots of uses, I think, for that kind of. Right. Not that I want to pass a law on love or anything like that or parenting, but. No, I mean, but like when you're getting into like custody law, I think that's when it makes a big difference, like Mm -hmm. guardianship and custody laws. Right. Like if I mean, it's a good question. Who actually is the parent? Right. I think that it should have some element of the person who wants to take responsibility for being the parent. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like there should be some consent to be a parent, I guess. Sure. I mean, and, and understand, like, you know, this this sort of law existed long before, like, the U.S. was even around. I mean, you have, you know, effectively within Catholicism, you have the idea of godparents, yes, which gives them right. all of the rights under God. Yeah, but you know, godparents is okay. Three parents is an abomination. Uh, uh-huh. Right. That's gay. <laughs> That's gay, Brian. <laughs> Anyway, (laughs) maybe we should stick to the science. (laughs) The controversial technique, which allows parents with rare genetic mutations to have healthy baby. Oh, I already read that part. Um, The boys. Okay, so here's here's the details about the boy. The boy's mother carries genes for Lee syndrome, the fatal disorder that affects the developing nervous system. Genes for the disease reside in DNA in the mitochondria, which provide energy for our cells and carry just 37 genes that are passed down to us from our mothers. Like we said, this is separate from the majority of our DNA, which is housed in the cell's nucleus. Around a quarter of her mitochondria have the disease-causing mutation. While she's healthy, Lee syndrome was responsible... Sorry, while she is... Oh, while she is healthy... Lee syndrome was responsible for the deaths of her first two children. So they already had two kids and they had this this fucked up mitochondrial uh, disease. Okay. So that sucks. Um, I feel really bad. So it's too bad they had to lose two kids before they could do this. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, so that's what happened. The couple sought help from John Zhang and his team at the New Hope Fertility Center in New York City. Zhang has been working on a way to avoid mitochondrial disease using a so-called three-parent technique. In theory, there are a few ways of doing this. The method approved in the UK is called pronuclear transfer and involves fertilizing both the mother's egg and a donor egg with the father's sperm. Before the fertilized eggs start dividing into early-stage embryos, each nucleus is removed. The nucleus from the donor's fertilized egg is discarded and replaced by that from the mother's fertilized egg. So they fertilize two eggs... Kick out the DNA from the donor egg, replace it with the DNA from the fertilized mom's egg. It's outrageous. They're playing God. Yeah, it's kind of it's, it's kind of sounds like a kinky threesome. Actually, the way they do this fertilization shit. Um, but this technique wasn't appropriate for this couple. As oh, now this is interesting. Here you go. As Muslims, they oh. they were opposed to the destruction of two embryos. Well, you didn't wow. want to assume the Jordanians. Interesting. So Zhang took a different approach called spindle nuclear transfer. He first removed the nucleus from one of the mother's eggs and inserted it into a donor egg that had its own nucleus removed. The resulting egg, with nuclear DNA from the mother and mitochondrial DNA from a donor, was then fertilized with the father's sperm. So they didn't destroy a potential fertilized embryo. Wow. Hashtag all lives matter, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so they so they combined, basically they combined the eggs, which were not fertilized and therefore so had no potential to develop into a person, right? Yeah, that's incredible. Um, and then they fertilized it. Then they added the sperm. Now, yeah, that is very interesting. I'm surprised that actually works. Um, 
Zhang's team used this approach to create five embryos, only one of which developed normally. This embryo was implanted in the mother, and the child was born nine months later. It's exciting news, says Bert Smeets. Hey, Smeets. Bert Smeets. What if that was your name? Oh, uh, paging Dr. Smeets. It'd be changed instantly. <laughs> no. I'm sorry. I, I just think it sounds kind of funny. I'm, I shouldn't <laughs> judge. I, should, I really should not judge his name. It's just, just his name. Yep. It's exciting news, says Bert Smeets at Maastricht University in the Netherlands. The team will describe the findings at the American Society for Reproductive Medicine Scientific Congress in Salt Lake City in October. Neither method has been approved in the U.S. So Zhang went to Mexico instead, where he says, quote, there are no rules. It's anarchy! <laughs> Anarchapulco! What? Oh, no. Oh, all right. It's anarchy. That's not anarchy. There are no going. rules in Mexico. I mean, to an extent, like, yeah, I think you can get away with more medical stuff in Mexico. Oh, sure. definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He is adamant that he made the right choice. To save lives is the ethical thing to do, he said. This is what the doctor said. The team seems to have taken an ethical approach with their techniques, says Sion Harding, who reviewed the ethics of the UK procedure. The team avoided destroying embryos and used a male embryo so that the resulting child wouldn't pass on any inherited mitochondrial DNA. So they made it they made sure that this baby couldn't wasn't like a carrier of the disease, so they yeah. wouldn't have to worry about it if he eventually grows up and reproduces. Okay. Um, it's as good or better than what we'll do in the UK, says Harding. A remaining concern is safety. Last time embryologists tried to create a baby using DNA from three people was in the 1990s when they injected mitochondrial DNA from a donor into another woman's egg, along with sperm from her partner. Two of the fetuses developed genetic disorders, and the technique was halted by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. The problem may have arisen from the fetuses having mitochondria from two different sources. So they tried, they, they already tried this weird science, and the fetuses did not like having two different women's mitochondria. Hmm. I don't know what happened to them if they resulted in births, but it says the fetuses developed genetic disorders. I'm guessing they were never born, because if they were severe enough, they would have just died right. in, in utero. When Zhang and his colleagues tested the boys' mitochondria, they found that less than 1% carry the mutation. Hopefully this is too low to cause any problems. Generally, it's thought to take around 18% of the mitochondria to be affected before problems start. It's very good, said Illich. So there was like a little bit, maybe one mitochondria out of 100 left mm -hmm. over from the mother in this shell of an, of a, of an egg that, yeah. they, that they used to create the uh, embryo. But that's probably not going to be a problem. I, I guess it only becomes a problem if you get one cell where that particular one clone of mitochondria multiplies and for some reason the other ones die off or develop some. So if you have like maybe one cell or pockets of cells that have bad mitochondria, maybe it could cause a problem, but probably not. And definitely not as bad as having, you know, it, as if it were just a natural uh, birth without any of assistance from the IVF. Is that your professional uh, opinion, doctor? <sighs> Nothing is really professional on this show, I have to say. <laughs> um, read the disclaimer at the beginning. Don't take medical advice from us. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's cool. It is amazing. I mean, what... And it's also, like, subversive, because it has three fucking parents. I mean, like... Yeah. That's... Uh, there's a part of me that's tickled at that, that's, that's showing that, you know, hey... Um, you know, there is actually a scientific way that a baby could have three parents. You know, um, I got to admit, I'm wondering, like, I mean, is this how they're going to breed out the white people? You know, like, is this... 
I'm, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I don't. Give and that's bullshit anyway. Yes, it is. <laughs> Although there are really people who think that, but yes. we won't talk about that right no, now. No, we will not. Uh, the last line here, Smeets agrees uh, that it's very good. Does he work for which, Captain Hook? Oh, no, that's Schmee. That's Mr. Schmee. Yeah. Sorry, Schmee's me. <laughs> <laughs> we should watch Hook sometime. Oh, I love that movie. I haven't watched that in like yeah. 10 years. Rufio. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Smeets agrees, but cautions that the team should monitor the child to make sure the levels stay low, the levels of bad mitochondria, of course. There's a chance that faulty mitochondria could be better at replicating and gradually increase in number, he says. Yeah, that's pretty much what I said. Um, we need to wait for more births and carefully judge them, says Smeets. Two women, one man, and a baby. Oh, kinky. Um, a, <laughs> a Jordanian couple has been trying to start a family for al almost 20 years. Ten years after they married, she became pregnant, but it ended in the first of four miscarriages. In 2005, the couple gave birth to a baby girl. It was then discovered that the probable cause of their fertility problems was a genetic mutation in the mother's mitochondria. The daughter was born with Lee syndrome, which affects the brain, muscles, and nerves for developing infants. Sadly, she died age six. Ugh. The second the couple's second child had the same disorder and lived for eight months. Using a controversial three-parent baby technique, see main story, the baby was born on April 6, 2016. He's showing no signs of disease. Wow. So there you go. That's how a baby can have three parents. That, I mean, that, that's incredible. Um, I mean, the science is wild. Uh, the implication, the social implications, I think, are even more yeah. out of this world. Yeah, um, definitely. And amazing how this got wormed into, like, you know, being okay via Allah. Yeah, that's an interesting <laughs> twist. And I also wonder, like, what was their relationship with the surrogate, the other woman? Right. You know, like, do, did they have any oh. kind of relationship with her? Or was it just, like, someone they didn't know or a friend or whatever? Yeah, like, does she have to, you know, walk 10 steps behind or not? Or like, what's... <laughs> Stop no, it. No, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, how did it become okay with Allah? Because a lot of people say about this, about like any genetic engineering of embryos. Like we talked about this on the show before, how in China they're trying to make, they're trying to select embryos that have these so-called genes that are associated with intelligence, if they could even pin those down, which it's, that's kind of doubtful, but yeah. they're trying to make superhuman babies. Some people are trying to make better humans through essentially eugenics, but just not using people who are already born and shown to be intelligent or not. They're using embryos. They're doing it at the embryonic stage. Like many things, it's big in China. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know if it's big in China. Well, they're but trying. Th there's there's yeah. rumors that people are trying it in China. My so-called genes with Claire Danes. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> um, I'm trying to have a serious ethical conversation. I'm, I'm about sorry. This. Okay, please continue. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so people are doing this kind of eugenics-y thing, and the the problem, like the problem that people always bring up, like. There was another couple, there was like a French couple that had this gene for deafness. Okay. And they actually wanted to select embryos through IVF that had the gene for deafness so that they would be like the rest of the family or that they would keep that alive. Do you remember that? And people were like, oh, that's so irresponsible. You're, you're sentencing your child to a life with this disease. And they were like, no, it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's actually just a difference. We don't think of it as disease. We think of it as difference. Now, it's hard to argue that Lee's syndrome is a difference if it kills you at age six to eight months. Right. You know, and there's not there's not really any benefit that you can see from having kids suffer from that. 
Yeah, I, I just I worry that there are some people who have had various impairments, I'll, I'll say, mm-hmm. that if they were just genetically engineered out, those impairments, some of them really help them, like, change the world and, like, help humanity in, in huge ways. Sure. And so I worry that if we just want to try and make everybody perfect, that are... It's going to backfire. It's going to yeah. backfire. <laughs> it always in backfires. In a lot of ways. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah, humans always think they're smart and they can outsmart genetics and nature, but it usually does backfire. And that's why eugenics is a bad idea. So we don't want to get close to it. But we also don't want kids to suffer either. All right. I have something unusual that I'd like to promote. I don't know if we've ever said this before, but Brian and I... Um, are available to do Sex and Science Hour live at your event or conference or, oh. or party. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something else. What did you think I was going to say? Brian and I are available for... Uh, for no. private cam shows. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't know what it was about. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you can't get a private cam show, but you can get us to do our podcast at your event. So if you are interested in that, just send, send us an email, show at sexandsciencehour.com, or you can use the contact form on our website, but we're going to probably need your email anyway. So you might as well just email us direct. Um, And what we can offer is just, you know, basically to bring a party in a box. We'll bring our podcast equipment. We'll interview people. We'll we'll set up a little show. And uh, this would really make Brian's day because he always complains that he doesn't get invited to speak at anything. So have at it. And also Sovereign Tech's available for remote broadcasting as well. Absolutely. I'm willing to color commentate your sex party. (laughs) There you go. Me too. I'll even throw my hat in the ring for that. Show at sexandsciencehour.com. Welcome back. This is, of course, Sex and Science Hour. Is anyone really tuning in right now for the first time? I kind of doubt it, but maybe they are. (laughs) You never know. You never know. That's right. You never know on the radio. Michael Dean always says you're only as good as your last show. So... You're only as good as your last show. Yeah, I like that. That's that's kind of harsh, but it is like a good podcast mantra. It's something that you could live by it, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've got our shit together a little bit more this week. Usually we're like, we're starting the show right about now at like 11 p.m. on a Friday night. Yeah. Now we've got the show almost nearly finished. (laughs) So we've been, you know, putting out fires and it's been been resulting in a good outcome. Now, this story that we're just going to talk about next, uh, they should have put out the fire. Because it really caused a problem. And I actually filed this under, we didn't start the fire. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> from Gizmodo. Who, where, did, did we get this from somebody? or was... No, I had it oh, on the okay. show prep for a really long time and All we right. just never got to it. I kept right. putting it off. From Gizmodo. Ready for this, Brian? Fart plain... <laughs> Sorry. Fart blamed for causing a fire during surgery at a Tokyo <laughs> hospital. <laughs> I know who found this. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. I mean, what fart humor is always funny. Like you can just count on. It's like an old friend you can always count on to. Uh, uh, you're such a gas. <laughs> <laughs> Don't gaslight me. <laughs> this surgery sounds like a total nightmare, says Gizmodo. <laughs> According to a new Tokyo Medical University Hospital report, a patient's fart during surgery apparently caused a fire that led to serious burns on her body. That's no joke. Oh, fuck. <sighs> Can you imagine, like, so at hospitals, I, I used to be in the medical field, so I know about this. At at hospitals, and even, like, um, for medical journals, like the New England Journal of Medicine, they do this thing called the Mortality and Morbidity Weekly Report, or MMWR. 
And it's basically sounds like a sex. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Sounds like a sex thing. No, yeah. it's not a sex thing. Okay. It's a report about all the shit that went wrong that week. Ah. All the epidemics that broke out, all the diseases that spread, all the fuck ups that happened at the, at the hospital. And the idea is to talk about them so that hopefully people will learn from history and not repeat the same mistakes and we can prevent these things from happening in the future. This week we stopped Ebola. Yes, but they didn't stop the fart. <laughs> but we didn't start the fire either. Um, the fart fire incident originally occurred all the way back in April, but a report was just released October 28th by a committee of, quote, outside experts who looked at the case and determined that there were no flammable materials in the operating room during surgery, according to Japanese newspaper Asahi Shimbun. Um <laughs> So they they took like from April to October to study the case and put together a detailed well, report. Probably making sure it wasn't a dragon or like that Luke Kang didn't set something off. <laughs> a dragon, yeah, yeah. that almost sounds like a likely explanation. Well, no, I mean, it is very sad that she got hurt. It's just that it is also a funny story, and it is kind of, like, can you imagine? There's probably a committee of people studying this incident. And they're all giggling. <laughs> they're trying not to, but they can't no, help it. No, no. The, 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 if anybody could help it, the Japanese could. <laughs> just, just a complete, oh. po- complete poker face. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry. How, how terrible. How terrible. No, this terrible. is most unfortunate. <laughs> The patient, who is in her 30s, ouch, was receiving an operation at the Tokyo Medical University Hospital in Shinjuku Ward that involved using a laser to... Oh, shit. Laser and farts, bad combination. Laser and gas. That involved using a laser to perform surgery. This is how starships explode. Yeah, this is how starships... This is how the warped core gets ejected. According to a report from the hospital, when the patient's intestinal gas leaked into the space of the operation, the room... It ignited with the irradiation of the laser and the burning spread, eventually reaching the surgical drape and causing the fire. Wow. So it was just like, you know, it just got the laser ignited the fart, which ignited the little drape. The company, the committee also determined that the equipment used in the operation was functioning normally, so it couldn't possibly be to blame during this unfortunate incident. Oh, of course not. So if you're ever in the situation where you need to undergo laser surgery, maybe try eating something light before the doctors put you under. Or your next shit will not go smoothly. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. But I didn't know that could happen. I mean, I'm kind of surprised it doesn't happen more often. Cause, right, like, cause, well, who would report it? Well, it would be in those hospital reports, right? Maybe they're so embarrassed that they keep it out of the reports. I don't yeah, know. You take those blackout markers and you're just like, yeah. Redacted, yeah. yeah. That, that redacted. That ba- didn't happen. Patient, <laughs> patient was in surgery when suddenly spontaneously combusted due to beep. Yeah. I mean, do you ever happened. hear like, uh, you know, morticians, right? Or I mean, or not, well. Uh, People who work with with deceased people with, yeah with dead bodies Do you ever hear them talk about like yes they talk about yeah but they don't report it like okay well at ten forty five, they blew ass you know the cadaver <laughs> blew ass <laughs> is it <laughs> oh god i'm not even gonna go there <laughs> so, just saying that that doesn't really well like you're not supposed to eat anything before you have surgery at all like you're not supposed to eat for like 24 hours i think right unless it's an emergency surgery yeah, I I don't know. I, yeah. I've only had like one major surgery and I was unconscious. So I, you know, like, yeah, it, so I don't know. I don't know. Well, um, yeah, FYI, 
<laughs> Farts can ignite a flame in the just, hospital. Just before you get your surgery, just ask, are you using lasers? <laughs> are you using, yes. Are there lasers involved? Because I had some beans last night. Oh, uh, yeah. All right. Um, so we got a follow up on the sex worker email from last week. Oh. Remember, we had the guy write in who said um, that he seeked out a sex worker partially because he was inspired by what we talked about on the show Ooh. and thought that it might be a, a good idea for him to do that. So um, I had asked for details and I asked, you know, what did you do? Tell us more. Um <laughs> He he wrote back to us and he said, um, I'm the guy who emailed about meeting a sex worker. Stephanie, since she wanted to know what kind of fun we had, she was an escort who specializes in the girlfriend experience, GFE, TM. <laughs> I learned this and the girlfriend experience is like, I guess it's like almost like she's your girlfriend, yeah, but only yeah. for one night. Nice. I learned this and many other terms on a website I found that helps clients meet providers with less chance of falling into a trap, be it law enforcement or some other type of scam. <laughs> I just wanted to meet up with a fun person who wanted to chat over some drinks and have sex. I tend to be socially awkward, and thus this experience is one I've had a hard time arranging in a more traditional way. Ah, uh, But no doubt this way is as traditional as any other. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think I agree with that. Yeah, <laughs> Ooh, second oldest profession. Cool. So, so yeah, that's interesting. I I hear that that's popular. That's a popular that that was like a popular search term on Backpage. Mm. It's a popular thing to want the girlfriend experience because I think like yeah, that's kind of true. Like a lot of single horny guys just want like a girlfriend who appreciates them and like really wants to fuck them. Right? Yeah. Sure. I. I that I think that's great and sounds like it was a fantastic experience and it really worked out. Yeah, cool. I'm glad you had a good time and thanks for the follow-up. Yeah. Um, now, Brian, we wanted to do a little bit on Star Wars because we went to see the Star Wars movie last night. Yeah, uh, Rogue, Rogue One, One, the Star Wars story. Uh, yeah. Do we have time? We do. We have about 10 more minutes. So oh, we... holy shit. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we're doing pretty good today. I We're like on top of our shit, I told you. Yeah, all right. So... Unlike the girl who farted during surgery. <laughs> Yeah, no, her shit was everywhere. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not her fault. We really shouldn't fart shame her. Don't light that match. Yeah, no, no, no. don't fart shame. Farting's great. Uh, yeah, farts are healthy. Hashtag farts are healthy. That's right. So, okay, so what we what we went and saw, uh, mm -hmm. if we want to get into that. And, and by the way, like... I can't promise that we won't be giving away spoilers. So if you don't want to hear, if alerts. you don't want to hear this, turn it off right now. Yeah, save cut. it for after the after you've seen it. Cut till you hear the music. Yep, because... uh, it's going to be about fifty four minutes that the music starts. Just yeah. so so that's fast forward right, right. now. Uh, yeah, so so this is a movie that that's technically a prequel, which is kind of a, an ugly thing to say in Star Wars. That's why they never use the word prequel. Uh, because oh really? Because episode one, two, and three sucked ass, ass so bad that the, nobody wanted to call it a prequel. According to some, I don't <laughs> agree with that assessment. But <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so so, and I think this raised an interesting issue. So this is a movie that literally takes place. Right before the first Star Wars movie, A New Hope from 77. Right. So it, it takes place between episode three and four. Right before, yes. ep right before episode four. Yes. That's the way you explain it to me. I like that one. Right. So this is just before the, just before the Death Star gets uh, built. It's while it's getting built. It's while the Death Star is getting built. Yeah. There's a team of rebels that steals the plans yep. for it. Yep. And it says that in the opening crawl of episode four. 
right. that a team and, of rebels had stolen the plans. Yes. And that's how Princess Leia got that map. Yes. And but they never really explained that. So this is what that movie was about. This is what Rogue One was about, was the team of rebels that was stealing the plans. Yes, exactly. Um, so now, interestingly, a lot of people went it because what came out last year at the same exact time? It was uh, The Force Awakens, which right. is episode, episode seven, seven, which takes place 30 years, you know, 34 years later or whatever. Um, after so, episode six. Well, after episode four. But yeah, then 30 years after episode. You're right. Yeah. So um, a lot of people went into this confused. And, and I didn't think pe- I, I and I feel bad because I said it's like nobody's nobody's going to fall for that. Like nobody's going to, you know, they're going to see Darth Vader's in it and they're going to be like, OK, this is during the original trilogy or something. Right. Um, but a lot of it seems like there are people. a lot of that, people thought it was episode eight. Yeah. And, and but it wasn't episode eight. Right. And we're wondering it was like, episode three and a half. <laughs> where's Ray and Finn? You know, where's Kylo Ren? Where's, right. You know, now, I said I saw the preview and it had Darth Vader in it. But I said, like, you know, he could have come back. Right. Right. Yeah. As soon as you brought that up, I was like, yeah, you know, actually, there's a lot of reasons. The whole stupid Star Wars is so disjointed. It was like it was hard <laughs> to understand and follow what was going on anyway, because there really was no overarching like moral message or like theme or anything like that. And there's a lot of characters and a lot of planets and it's really complicated. It's It was just always difficult for me to understand what the fuck was going on in Star Wars. But having it out of order made it even worse. Like, why would you have a story that starts in the middle, goes back to the beginning and then finishes in the end, but you don't know the ending yet. You only have the middle and the beginning actually sucked and was really boring. So you didn't want to watch the beginning. It, it's like... It just makes it way more complicated and difficult to follow an already complicated, difficult story. Yeah. And so I just kind of tuned out and I and Star Wars has never held my interest because yeah. it's just so disjointed. And and also, like, to start the story in the middle and not have any fucking clue where it was going. Like, it's pretty obvious George Lucas didn't know what, what the ending or the beginning of the story was going to be I when agree. he started it in the middle. <laughs> yeah. And actually, it's important to bring up that in 77, when A New Hope was in theaters, that was the original one, um, it didn't say episode four. That was added later. Oh, really? Uh, so, like, there's, there's, in my opinion, there is scant... He didn't even know it was going to be a 9 G. <laughs> well, right. There's scant to no evidence that this that he had any ideas as far as how far this was going to go, or like whether there was backstory or forward story or whatever, you know. Um, but, you know, all, all that is... Like, the, the point I want to bring up quick is that I think they really dropped the ball in being so afraid of the word prequels, because that's what caused a lot of the convoluted mess that you described, that you accurately described, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Yeah. Um, if they said prequel... You know, it would have been very clear what this is. I understand that there's people who would make fun of it for that, but you're running into, you might be running into a far worse situation by people watching the movie and not realizing, you know, however many minutes in that, wait a minute, this, this is something that takes place beforehand, you know, before a new hope and all that, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And there's, there's these new characters, but they all kind of die in the, at the end, by the end of the movie. There's a spoiler. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. Let it rip. (laughs) Like most of the characters die and, but they have to, because they have to like wrap it up with a neat little bow and make it a self-contained kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I've, 
I just want to say quick, I am doing a full hour review of this on Sovereign Tech yeah. uh, tomorrow, episode 204, so so keep a lookout for that. Um, but yeah, right, right. They they had to, to tie this up. Um, I mean, what did you think of the movie overall? Like, I, I, I thought it was so fucking boring and dumb. I barely, <laughs> I barely remember anything from it, even though we just saw it last night. I could not follow what was going on. I had no clue why anybody was doing anything. The only things I liked about it were, one, there was a funny robot. And it was it yeah, had K2SO. some it had some funny lines. Yeah. And two, the last scene has Darth Vader realizing that somebody that that rebels have the part of the plans to his Death Star and trying to get it from them before they can escape out from this from this ship and launch like a little shuttle. Mm-hmm. And then eventually one of them gets away with the plans and hands it off to Princess Leia. And they actually did a really amazing CGI that made it look like young 1970s Princess Leia totally was like doing new acting. Yeah. And even kind of a new line. Like, I don't remember her ever saying hope. Um, yeah, in, no, she in, never in any of the movies. Yeah, no, that was totally CGI. And it looked like an actor. It was completely photorealistic. They also had another guy. Well, they, they put, I mean, it's an overlay, you know, over an actor. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah but it was really good. Um, so that was cool. And then Darth Vader, there's the, in the last scene, like he's really pissed off. He knows they have this map and, and he, you know, sort of boards this ship and he's like, and he turns on his lightsaber <laughs> and it's like a giant penis. And he starts and then he starts waving it around, dodging all these bullets and like slamming people against walls with the force. And then but then one of them gets away. It was incredible. It, it was great. That was yeah, my that, favorite part. Yeah, that was the only the, part I liked. Actually, the ending was phenomenal. Like the last five minutes was was fucking brilliant. And then, was... in true fucking Disney fashion, okay. Uh huh. D- now, I'm not ragging on Disney too much, but let's get real. Disney has a certain style, uh-huh. okay, and it was evident in this movie because a it had the strong female character as the lead, right? Yep. As the sassy kind of. Well, you know, tomboy female character. Well, it there's there's rumors that she got. I, I way, don't want to get too much. That into her that. sassiness was toned way down because they hastily refilmed a bunch of scenes at the last minute, which is kind of a conspiracy theory, but it might be true. Anyway, they had this female lead character that like little girls are supposed to identify with, and then at the end, she kind of has like a love interest, maybe, but it's so fucking prudish that they save the world and they don't even kiss. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is a this is a thing, and I say this all the time about Star Trek versus Star. You hold Wars. hands. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Star Trek will always be better than Star Wars, and from the very simple reason that Star Wars will never explore the entirety of the human condition. Yeah. You will never get Star Wars characters having a threesome. Kirk had a threesome in Into Darkness, baby. You saw it on film. Oh, there's a million reasons Star Trek is way better. Yeah. Because it's it actually tries to be like somewhat scientifically accurate. And it did predict the cell phone, you know, medical sure. scanners, all kinds of stuff, and voice commands, touch screens. For, the world, that's for sure. Yeah, Star Trek was 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 the bomb diggity. Star Wars I give it two thumbs down. I hate Star Wars. I'm not ashamed of it. If you think that's a controversial opinion, you should listen to our after show. It's coming up next. Stay tuned. This is Sex and Science Hour. If you're leaving us, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. You've just heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over. Play again next week.
Welcome back to Sex and Science Hour. It's our after show. If you, you want to be on the after show, is that what you were going to say, Brian? I was just going to say Oh my it. gosh. Go for it. Two minds become one. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you want to be on our after show, you can go to stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. And you can buy stuff through Amazon, because all that is is our Amazon affiliate link. Yep. And you can buy some stuff through there, and then it will show up on a list that we get every week of what people bought. And then we'll be able to discuss it and talk about it and speculate about why you bought it. Wait, did that music seem like it was going out a lot? It took a while to fade out? Yeah, it did. It kind of sounds like it's still going. Okay, well, it's stopped gone now. now. It's gone. That's all right. But yeah, <laughs> stuff.sexandsciencehour.com, and you can get uh, publicly shamed for what you buy here as well. So. Yeah, we will try not to shame you too much. I mean, we did engage in some fart shaming, I will admit. Which we fart all the time in front of each oh, other. Oh, please. And, we I fart mean, so much. Hell, oh, my God. Like, it's madness. Yeah. It, it, is, it is the 4th of July. In, <laughs> the 4th of July? I haven't heard I mean, that one before. The Rockets Red Blair. <laughs> oh, my God. Funny. Uh, yeah. Um, all right. So one second. I didn't get to say whether or not I liked the movie. Oh, yeah. Please go for it. So... I like I said, I'm doing a, like a full one hour, and and there are people who have already emailed me. There are people who have said to me on on social media, and I already said on social, very social media, what I thought of it in one line, um, that are just chomping at the bit, like they're dying, you know, to, for me to to do a review. So I I will provide that, but I'll just say in short here, I thought it was amazing. I thought it was an awesome, awesome movie. Um, but what did you like about it in particular? Well, I don't want to give everything away right now, but. I mean, well, th- come on. Right. We already spoiled it. I already okay. said everybody dies. Okay. So, well, first off, like that ending is worth every is worth every second. Like that ending was so good. Um, but other than that, I mean, this is you got to understand. You got to put this movie in perspective. This is definitely a Star Wars fans Star Wars movie. Like, you've yeah, got- and that's a good and bad thing because I'm not a Star Wars fan and I did not know what the fuck was going on. Right. <laughs> yeah, not figure it out. This is, I think this is really an experiment on Disney's part. And, you know, if you know your shit, and I mean really know your shit about Star Wars, this movie's awesome because you get to see so many things come to life. Um, that doesn't mean it's without its problems. I, I do have, you know, a couple issues with it. Um, I think one of the problems is, is that it, it really just raises a ton more questions than answers. And this was supposed to be a movie that brought to light, you know, that brought answers to a situation. Um, so I, I thought, you know, I have problems with that, but, but overall I, I just, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And, and to see so many, I don't know, so many come to life in it. I, I really enjoyed it. Right on. Okay. Well, um, I have a lot more to say. The good by the news way, is that, that Go. yes, you will on your show, Sovereign yes. Tech, which comes out tomorrow and you can find it at S O V R Y N com. Um, I was going to say the good news is I only have to go to these things with you once a year. Yeah. Now, I love spending time with you, Brian. I'm not complaining that about that at all. Right. It was just that last night in particular, we had a little bit of a tiff because <laughs> I well, said it was bad. There was a snowstorm. Yeah. And... Because I said I would go to the movies and I was really looking forward to it, even though I wasn't looking forward to the movie. I uh-huh. was, I was looking forward to going on a date with you and having fun. However, while we were driving there and I was driving, 
um, a, a fucking blizzard just came out of nowhere yeah. and on the highway. And it was like, it, at one point it was snowing so bad that it was like almost white out. Like I couldn't see what was in front of me. And yeah. I started really freaking out. I got really scared. That was like the first bad snowstorm of this year. And actually it was the first bad snowstorm of, of a couple years for me because yeah, last winter was tame. Yeah. Last winter there was almost no snow. And so I, it's been a couple years since I've really driven in the snow and I guess the the years before that, I wasn't even driving that much. Um, so I, the point is, I was out of practice of driving in the snow, and it freaked me out. And I got a little just, it was hard for me to enjoy the movie. I got a stress ball of, I became a ball of nerves. Yeah. <laughs> but um, afterwards, you took me to Lamberger, and it was really good. Oh, it was all good. Spot. Yeah, it was really fun. So anyway, what did people get this week on stuff.sexandsciencehour.com? Now, last week, we had to cut it short because we were on the way to uh, actually broadcast for that with Brett Finott from School Sucks. But um, so we only got to about half of the list last week. So this week is going to have a little bit more on it. So um, first, we have the books department. Somebody by Neil Stevenson. Do you know this one? Oh, it's a bestseller. Great book. Um, Anthem won a bunch of awards. Uh, let's see. Anthem is perhaps the most brilliant. No, what is it about? I'm trying to find a plot summary here. <sighs> Bear with me. Well, it's taking too long. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, fucking plot summary. It's just bragging about Neil Stevenson. Oh, here we go. Okay. This follow-up to his historical Baroque cycle trilogy, which fictionalized the early 18th century scientific revolution, Stevenson, who wrote Cryptonomicon, conjures a far future Earth-like planet, Arbor, where scientists, philosophers, and mathematicians run to themselves, have been cloistered behind uh, convent walls. Their role is to nurture all knowledge while safeguarding it from the vagaries of the irregular outside world. Among the monastic scholars is 19-year-old Roz, collected into the con- convent at age eight and now a decanarian or tenor, someone allowed contact, contact with the world beyond the stronghold walls only once a decade. But millennia-old rules are cataclysmically shattered when extraterrestrial catastrophe looms. And Roz and his teenage companions, engaging in intense intellectual debate one moment, wrestling like rambunctious adolescents the next, are summoned to save the world. That sounds good. Sounds like a cool, cool uh, idea for a book. Yeah. Um, have you read that book, Brian? Anathem? Yes. Cool. And what did you think of it? Uh, I, I liked it. I mean, all Stevenson stuff is phenomenal. Snow Crash, uh, Crypto. What uh, is Snow Crash? I've heard of that one. I felt like uh, we were going to have a Snow Crash last night. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's it's a long, I mean, like, it, it takes a little while to, to explain, to go into. Okay. Well, we also had Poor Charlie's Almanac, The Wit and Wiz- Wisdom of Charles T. Munger, 2005. Who's Charles Munger? I don't know. I feel like he might be a conservative Republican like a Reaganite. Maybe. But I'm I, not I sure. <laughs> I don't know who he it's is. Not and Carl I'm not... Menger. No, no, Charles Munger. I, I I could have looked it up, but I closed the tab before. So, Matt, but thank you for buying his book. <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. Um, now, Brian, did you play Myst, M-Y-S-T, in the 90s? Oh, of course. Remember it was like the first, like, really good computer game? Well, it wasn't... Okay, so Mist, it was like the first really like kind of real looking computer game. Real look, yeah, that's what I meant. The yeah, graphics were good, but the thing is, is it's you know a lot of people say, well, it's not even really a game because and there's not really much in the way of animation on the screen, so of course it could look really gorgeous even though mm. nothing really moves because you're just kind of <laughs> shifting screen to screen. That's true. It was more like a puzzle than a game. I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I loved it. Riven was great too. I mean, I, yeah, I, I rock them all. I played Mist, but not Riven. Yeah, um, but there's books that go with this actually so mm-hmm. um somebody bought the first missed book and the second missed book 
I'm such a fan of these kinds of things. Um, in the nineties, it doesn't seem so popular today. I mean, it still gets done, but in the nineties, you had a lot of novels come out that were like, like there's the games, uh, called descent yeah. that were popular in the nineties where it's kind of like a, a like a, uh, I forget exactly what you call it, like a 6.3 D shooter mm-hmm. of some kind, um, where you're in the ship and you can, you know, you have total, uh, control like you can move in all different directions anyway uh peter tellup wrote like three books about these games um or you had oh man there's a whole list of them that you could go down or like you know even like tv shows at the time like there's space bum beyond there's a bunch of novels for that there's a bunch of dark man novels there's sequest mm. novels there are all these you know based around these these different i mean everything was trying to be a multimedia event yeah and i thought that that was so cool so yeah right on i never read the mist books but uh i wouldn't mind getting my hands on those as well yeah you know i'm encouraged every time this is why i always start off with the book section well actually because it's alphabetical and it's near the top but also because it's i feel so encouraged when i look at it because by the looks of it, our audience reads. Oh, it's phenomenal. <laughs> and it's, it's great. great. I love you. <laughs> we, we do. We love you. Uh, Alistair Reynolds, Pushing Ice. Yeah. Did you read that one? No, I don't believe I've read that one, but Reynolds 20, is just here, a classic. Here's a description. Yeah, I know. Um, 2057, Bella Lind and the crew of her nuclear-powered spaceship, her nuclear-powered spaceship, yes, the rock hopper, Push Ice. They mine comets. But when Janus, one of Saturn's ice moons, inexplicably leaves its natural orbit and heads out of the solar system at high speed, Bella is ordered to shadow it for the few vital days before it falls forever out of reach. In accepting her mission, she sets up her ship and crew on a collision course with destiny for Janus, has many surprises in store, and not all of them are welcome. That sounds awesome. Hell yeah. <laughs> that reminds me of on that The Expanse. Um, when they're like mining the ice, yeah, and they haul yeah, it yeah. back from like Saturn or something to the belt. Yeah. Um, in the clothing department, we have a cute T-shirt. Somebody got a T-shirt that has a little picture of a bicycle, and it says "38 miles per burrito." <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that cute? That's awesome. Like, I guess you could actually probably ride about 38 miles on the calories from one burrito. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I love it. Like around bicycles there's really like an entire subculture and i think that is so cool yeah um I, like i i just i really respect that and appreciate that when you when you have that kind of niche um around such an ingenious I never, device i really never got into bikes that much i never had one in college i just walked and i never really lived in a city where you could where it made sense to have a bike mm. so i never got into it but maybe this person did or does i don't know i think it's awesome yeah it's not like you can't ride a bike here but i don't know i just i just never got into oh, it i my bike was my freedom in, in new oh, york that's oh that's nice man, that was... well you should get another one yeah um there the t-shirt says it's Soft touch, poly cotton blend. Well, so nice. I like that because it's so hard to find a soft t-shirt now. That's one of my biggest pet peeves. And I know I say it all the time, but like, it's just, most t-shirts are just cardboardy. They're getting low quality. They're not, it's not good soft cotton, you know? Nope. They don't make things like they used t-shirt. to. I don't wear a bra, okay? I need a soft t-shirt. <laughs> we have the great big man, <laughs> six pack the great big man <laughs> six pack of uh t-shirts so these are like maybe big and tall size yep. t-shirts um in white unfortunately not black which is brian's favorite color for clothing actually that's kind of an understatement all of your clothing is <laughs> all of your not just my clothing we had a a little girl's my little pony rainbow dash hoodie 
So it has a picture of Rainbow Dash and it has a little mohawk of rainbow like horse <laughs> things. Cute. Uh, like you can put it on a hoodie and it has a little m- pony mohawk and rainbow sleeves and wings on the back. How fucking cute is that? I that love it. Cute. I wish it came in grown up size. It probably does. But um, this that was a girl's size. Another person. Oh, maybe it was the same person who got that bicycling T-shirt. But this one is um, another biking T-shirt. It says life behind bars. And it has a picture of handlebars. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's cute. <laughs> I like it. They're not that expensive either, around 20 bucks. Um, somebody in the, I guess this is the, uh, now we're into the electronics department. Somebody got the Air B 2.4 gigahertz mini wireless keyboard um, infrared remote, G- three gyro and G sensor air control for Windows, iOS, and Mac. It looks like a TV remote. But I don't know. Maybe it's for a console or something. I don't know exactly what it's for. It's thirteen ninety nine. Help me, Brian. Oh, that's nice. Know. No, I'm I'm looking at it. I, yeah, I'm not one hundred percent certain. I can't I really don't know. see the details on it. But yeah, it it just looks like a regular TV remote, but maybe a little bit more video gamey. Like it has a yeah. red it has a red button, a green button, a yellow button, and a blue button. Yeah, it probably works with Xbox or something. And yeah, that makes sense because there great. were some gaming stuff that was purchased. So next we have in the um in the gaming department Alienware Alpha ASM one hundred fifteen eighty console. Oh, okay. So now we know what it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it goes with that. So this is a gaming console. Right. Yeah. yeah. So so Alienware is one of the few companies that started uh, making these what they call steam machines, which I appreciate mm. because I like calling computers machines yes. or rigs. Um, and the steam machines were really an attempt by steam, as in the the uh, the software steam run by you know owned by valve um which is the largest gaming community in the world it's pc gaming it's kind of the you know it's not the only pc gaming platform but it's certainly the largest um and they were trying to take on home consoles by working with other companies and creating they created their own operating system of course based on linux and uh you know they, they they put it out there you know these things would cost i don't know a few hundred bucks or whatever it like, I think it's really cool. And Alienware, of course, owned by Dell, which Dell is a fine company these days. That wasn't true, if, you know, a decade ago. Um, Why were they not nice? Oh, because they're just low quality or? Well, so so they, they banked on having great customer service and their their computers did not match. I mean, their enterprise computers were fine, but their consumer computers, like there's there was kind of a running theory that they really wanted to get people hooked into uh, dealing with with their customer service, uh-huh. and so they they were selling like really shitty computers. I mean they uh. they were the people that kind of like a a lot of PC users. Their first laptops were probably Dells, like right. you know in in the aughts or late you know really in the aughts, uh, because they brought that price down. But how did they bring that price down? Well, the theory goes is that they were eventually trying to like have customer service become the model because their theory was is that computers would get to a point of like near zero marginal cost, mm. and so they had to make money somehow. Uh, but now Dell makes some of the best computers in the world. The XPS 13, they own Alienware now, which Alienware was originally its own company. Uh, you know, just all all fine and dandy stuff. But it does seem like, I'll say this, it does seem like the whole Steam Machine idea and even Steam OS is kind of, I don't know, I don't know how far they're going with that. But anyway, right. let's continue on. I apologize. Well, thank you. No, that was enlightening. I mean, I appreciate that little history lesson. And sure. of course, if you like that, you should listen to Sovereign Tech because well, this is like... 
all that all the time from That's Brian. Right. Um, <laughs> but this Alienware, um, I think they got a pretty good deal on it because so right now they're listing the price at um, $468, but it looks like I can see from the uh, – from the information I have, that the person paid three hundred dollars. Nice, and the list price was like five forty nine. Very so nice. they got a really good deal. They got it for like almost half price, so I guess off the list price. So yeah, and it says it was discontinued. So that's the other thing. Yeah. So okay, that doesn't shock me. That kind of hits at what I was saying. Is right. That I feel yeah. like this that whole idea, you know, kind of went by the wayside, out, yeah. except for the controller. They came out with a Steam controller, which still seems to be popular. Anyway, so um, also in the same department was a Logitech gamepad. F710. Yep, that's uh, like an Xbox controller for PC gaming. Perfect, yep. great buy. And this is refurbished, so I guess they're going for the classic thing. I'm I'm a big fan of refurbs. Yeah, I, like I I think that's Why a not, great thing right? to 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 purchase. Yeah. By the way, update. Um, <laughs> Brian had been trying. Speaking of gaming, Brian had been trying like hell, like trying everything he could to buy this NES Classic emulator. Oh, oh fuck! We both tried actually. <laughs> And we still have not gotten our hands on one. We're going to try at a local retail store on Tuesday. That's how bad, that's how desperate we've gotten. That's how bad things have gotten. It has become a sporting event. It has. Yeah, we're hunting one down. It's like bagging a moose or something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Somebody got a Seagate one terabyte um, expansion external hard drive. And it's 54 bucks, which is great. Um, I remember, um, I don't know. I mean, it's just Moore's Law, I guess. It's not that amazing. But um, I just... It's good that you can get one terabyte for like fifty five bucks. That's amazing. Yeah, I and it's like slim and it looks sleek and it just doesn't look like it takes up a a ton of room. Yeah, I I really do remember not long ago that that would be a three hundred dollar hard drive. Totally, totally. Uh, In the DVD department, somebody got a DVD of Deadpool. Oh, all right, great movie for nine ninety nine. Did you see the movie? Yes, you liked it. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Wasn't there like a controversy? I never saw it, but I just remember there are people being like, oh, I hated Deadpool. Oh, no, I don't I don't know. Uh, because, <laughs> well, the reason I say that is it's the highest grossing rated R film of all time. Um, what? Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it Serious? was. It was crazy. Okay. And, I mean, it like, I mean, I have issues with it, but I thought it was good. And Deadpool 2 is coming out soon. What's a basic plot synopsis like a one sentence so it's an x-men movie deadpool's okay okay um and it has to do with in fact gina serrano's on it which Uh, (laughs) um so the the basic plot is deadpool colossus and i forget the other mutant gal's name um they are or deadpool is kind of getting revenge his former girlfriend is in trouble and Okay. Yeah, that's that's kind of the gist. I mean, the thing oh, with Deadpool shit. is you're there for the slapstick, like like it's a com- it's a comedy. Like right. he, he's a very comedic character, which annoys the hell out of me because he wasn't always. Uh, but I get it, you know. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, in the um, tools and home improvement department, we have like just a basic Amazon Basics, which is their line of like you know batteries and plugs and things that you need like electronics all the gizmos and cords and stuff um they have a six outlet uh surge protector power strip for seven bucks which is pretty good and it comes in black brian oh nice yeah and they i like how they did this they sort of spaced out the outlets a little bit so that you could plug in something that has like a big power adapter and not like totally lose the ability lose half of the outlets 
That is good. Um, but they don't. It, but it's not organized the most efficiently. Like the best are those octopus ones. Have you seen those? Where it oh, has like, just, yeah, it has like arms. I love those. <laughs> I, I really want one of those, but I haven't gotten around to getting one yet. I just have the conventional inside the box kind of power adapter strips. Yeah. Um, no, funny story. Years ago, I um, I remember one of the only things you could buy uh, with Bitcoin was like electronics because they Mm -hmm. had like bitcoin store and then like a couple other things and i had some bitcoins and at the time they were worth like sub ten dollars each and i was like oh what can i buy with my bitcoins oh i guess i could buy a power strip and then i never i procrastinated i was like "Eh, i'm not that excited about that idea i mean i kind of need a power strip but whatever like i was not that much of a priority so i kind of procrastinated and procrastinated then bitcoins went over ten dollars then they went over thirty dollars and i'm like I think I'm not going to buy that power strip. And then I held (laughs) held on to my Bitcoins. (laughs) And I was so glad I did because I would have spent like, I don't know, a couple Bitcoins on it. And now they're like $700. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been a very expensive power strip. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, it's all good. If you spent some Bitcoins in the beginning, then you were helping build and contribute to the Bitcoin economy too. So like, it's it's not a loss. Like the guy who bought the pizzas for like, what, 50,000 Bitcoins, the million dollar pizzas. I mean, I mean, he helped like get the ball rolling on the whole Bitcoin economy. So yep. he did something really valuable. But I mean, yeah, I guess it sucks to be the first one. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we also had in the electronics department some Maxell stereo line neckband headbuns. Head headbuns. <laughs> that sounds like Princess Leia's hairdo. Um, <laughs> head buds. So they're like earbuds, but they go around the back of your head. Oh, I like these. Yeah, I never tried them. These were only five dollars. They look wow. They look pretty good for five dollars, but I don't know. I'm kind of skeptical. They got like three and a half stars out of five. Well, my only issue terrible. You can't beat the price. Yeah, my only issue with those is I like I love the the idea. The Mm -hmm. problem is I can rarely find any that will actually fit around the back of my head because Um, you have a giant head because you have a huge brain. Thank you. That's what Donald Trump says. Huge. Bri- Have you seen Brian Sovereign's brain? It's huge. <laughs> oh, if he ever said my name, <laughs> that's the one time it wouldn't sound like a symphony. <laughs> <laughs> um, somebody got a five-pound jug of raw. It's called really raw, totally unprocessed honey. Wow. Okay. How cool is that? That's great. Really raw, pesticide-free honey with a creamy, smooth, spreadable texture. I like this kind of honey. It's almost like peanut butter, but it's completely made out of sugar. Nice. (laughs) Never heated or strained, contains all the pollen, propolis, vitamins, enzymes, and trace minerals the bees put into it. Now, propolis, that's good because it's like this very powerful antibacterial and fungal thing. Ah. It's like a powerful antibiotic. Um, and you know, honey has other good stuff in it. Some people swear that eating local honey, um, like helps with their seasonal allergies. Yeah. I have never tried it. I have, I have seasonal allergies, but they're really not anything bad compared to my food allergies. So I kind of focus on the food allergies, but I don't know, maybe it would help me. I like to stay away from sugar that includes honey. So I don't really consume a lot of honey, but I do like this kind of honey that has like kind of a creamy look to it and ha- it ha- it's not like it's not like clear like you could tip it upside down like the kind that comes in the bear you know where you tip it upside down and it's totally clear this is like opaque kind of honey it looks like it's packed with something healthy so 
<laughs> so enjoy your honey. That looks really good. Um, not vegan, by the way. I, I hear honey is not vegan because it exploits the bees and stuff. Um, somebody got sea sponge tampons. So I'm so excited about this. They got the starter set, which is like a five pack of different sizes of sea sponge tampons. And I've talked about this on the show before. I just recently started trying um, sea sponge tampons. I love them. They're so good for overnight or going swimming. I mean, they're just really good. The only downside is they don't have a string. So you have to kind of fish around for them sometime when you want to pull them out. But they don't leak. And they're super comfortable. They're not irritating at all to put in or take out, which is a bad problem with tampons because mm. ladies, you know, they get irritating. Um, That's right, ladies. And yes. <laughs> and and also ladies who use tampons because not all ladies do. But um, uh, what else was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Tampons have bleach and sea sponges don't have bleach. So like mm. the vagina is super absorptive. You know, people do the thing where they soak like a tampon and vodka and then put it in their vagina and get super fucking drunk. Like oh teenagers my. do that shit, which is stupid because it you can't control the dose and you're like mainlining it basically. But the point is the vagina is super absorptive. And so you don't really want to be like, I don't know, putting like a bleached piece of paper or even recycled paper, which has a lot of BPA in it, which mm-hmm. is not good. Um, you know, putting it in your most absorptive area. It's almost like chewing tobacco and keeping it in your cheek. You know, you're going to absorb a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So you don't want to be putting any unnatural shit up there. Um, so that's why I like the idea of these sea sponge tampons. And um, yeah, I tried them. I liked them. These come from Kalimnos Island in Greece. Ooh. <laughs> oh, wow. Straight very, from the source. Very, uh, very special. So cool. Um, I hope you enjoy them. Give me a report if you want. Um, and ladies, I would... I I have to say, like, I think these are cool to try. And, oh, and if you're worried, like, they're reusable, so environmentally friendly. If you're worried about cleaning them, um, don't worry about it. They're naturally kind of resistant to getting icky as long as you let them dry out in between uses. Like, just, you know, rinse it out with water and then let it completely dry before you use it again. Um, and if you want, you can put it in, you can soak it in kind of like vinegar and water to clean it out. And that seems to do the trick. And they don't have the um, the toxic shock syndrome associated with them like tampons do, as far as I understand. Maybe there's not a lot of research on natural sea sponge tampons compared to regular tampons. Um, but that's what I've heard. Don't Winnie? take my word for it. But And this is not a medical advice or endorsement or anything like that. I'm just saying, as a person who needs these things, it solves a problem for me, and I like them. So, uh, anyway, in the in the home and have I bored you yet, Brian, with tampon talk? Not live? at all. It was positively fascinating. <laughs> the mysteries of the feminine mystique, <laughs> the divine feminine. Uh, <laughs> so, we uh, in the home in the decor department. Home is like a home and kitchen home decor. Um, this is like a set of decorative keys. Like you would find it like an old castle with a dungeon, you know, where the person, the guard has like a bracelet and it has a bunch of giant keys hanging off the bracelet. (laughs) It's like that, but it has each key is like representative of a Zodiac sign or something like that. It's 25 pieces and um, you could use it for cosplay or whatever or 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 something. But um, 
like it, it actually specifically says it's for cosplay, but I don't know what exactly you would use it for. But it definitely reminds me of those medieval dungeon kind of things where you have like the the chain of keys, where the the keys to the to the different cells where you're keeping all the men locked up and flogging them. <laughs> Jeez, that, that, that went dark fast. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I think of when I see it. I don't know about you, but. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, in the, in the home section, not nearly as sexy, but definitely practical nonetheless, we have aqua pure under sink replacement filter cartridges. These look like they're for, um, like an under sink filtration system, perhaps reverse osmosis. I'm not sure. Um, but it, it looks like it removes some of the bad shit in the water, which makes it taste bad and also isn't that healthy for you. So always need that. I have a Berkey light, which is the conspiratorial fluoride filtering water filter system that gets out advertised on Alex Jones. Don't make fun of me, please. <laughs> Brought to you by Alex Jones. Yeah, seriously. It, I, I didn't hear about it on Alex Jones. I heard about it on Free Talk Live, but that's not that much, not that far off. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and I bought it about 10 years ago and I use it to filter the water and it's great. I mean, it is a gravity filter. So sometimes it takes a while to filter the water, but so what, who cares? I'll just leave it going overnight and yeah. you know, it, it does it and it, it makes the best tasting water and I feel good about myself because I'm filtering out the fluoride. Now I'm not really that crazy about fluoride, whatever. I drink a lot of tea and Let's be honest, tea contains a lot of fluoride, so I'm not, I don't know, it may be different, but I do, I do feel irked about the idea that the government wants to dose me with some medication without, you know, based on how much water I drink. Right. You know, that's bad medicine. That's sloppy. I didn't consent to it. I think it's bullshit. You know, um, I, I don't see... I haven't seen convincing evidence that there's any benefit for adults in terms of making your teeth stronger. Right. I think that's bullshit. You know, I think it's probably, if anything, I don't know how harmful it is to people. There is such a thing as fluorosis, right, where you can get too much fluoride accumulating in your body and it hurts you. Yeah. Um, Most people probably don't have that if they're just drinking municipal water with fluoride in it. Um, What I think it probably really is, is there was some crony deal where some company made fluoride or sodium fluoride or lithium fluoride as an industrial waste product, and they wanted to find a way to turn around and sell it. And so they found some shady science that said, oh, it's good for your teeth. It creates strong teeth. And then they sold it to governments. And it was like selling their own fat asses back to them to quote Fight Club. You know, it's like, (laughs) you know, it's just like it's total marketing bullshit. So that's what I think the whole fluoride thing is about. Um, so I filter it out of my water. <laughs> and um, I don't know. I haven't turned into a sheeple, I don't think. So there's that. <laughs> Brian, you're going to love this next one. In the Kindle department, somebody bought Michelle Onfray's book, A Hedonist Manifesto, The Power to Exist. Oh, Insurrections, Critical Studies in Religion, Politics, and Culture. Oh, be still my heart. What a great book. <laughs> yes. A short little read, but just fucking brilliant. Like, Why is it 25 bucks then on Kindle? I don't know. It's Because it's not a long book. Um, wow. I mean, it's not like a pamphlet. I mean, it's a full-on book, but it's yeah. not like a long one. Um, Maybe Amazon is just showing that price to me because they know that I'm a big spender. <laughs> and that I'm that they think they can get me to pay more for it. <laughs> that time is coming. Um, <laughs> well, it is it is rare. Like Michel Onfray is a um, he is a philosopher, a professional philosopher uh, in France, mm-hmm. and he is an anarchist. Uh, he you know the whole deal, atheist, all that. His other book that's in English, the is Atheist, the atheist Manifesto. Manifesto. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so he only has two books in the English language and this is one of the two. Then that one just came out like this year or maybe the year previous. Uh, so I could see it being expensive because like, you know, somewhat of the rarity of the translation and all that, and that the person really needs to make money off of doing the translation. Cause the, in the intro to the book, you, you, you get translation notes where the guy says, look, I, I was just a student, but I love his work. And I'm like, you know, we got to turn this into English somehow. Right. And I'm glad he did because it's a brilliant anarchist uh, work. And I am absolutely a hedonist. And so I just, I think it's wonderful. What does that mean to you when you say you're a hedonist? Well, more particularly. Because I think a lot of people would hear that if they're ignorant and say, oh, that means Brian just likes to, you know, like, well, screw everybody else. I'm just going to do what makes me happy and gives me pleasure, at, even if it hurts somebody else. Ah, so that last, so half that's true. Um, the other, the other half's not, which is that I, I don't care if I hurt anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I care very much about that because I want the same care for me. Okay. Uh, if I believe that the point of life is to be happy, mm-hmm. am I a hedonist? Yes. Okay. Because that is that at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Um, I mean, I, I'm what gets described as an ethical hedonist, uh, which just pretty much goes by that though, that, you know, the, the you know your goal in life is to be happy the ultimate good in life is to be happy but people have to understand that like it's not just about uh, uh fulfilling all of your desires like it's also about pain minimization mm-hmm. and and like there, there's there's positive and negative directions and i don't mean negative as in pejorative but there's positive and negative directions within which pleasure works uh so yeah and there's also short-term and long-term pleasure and happiness i think includes both you know, short-term and long-term pleasures. Like there's, there's a difference between perhaps staying in every night for a month to work on a big, long audio book. Let's say it's me Mm -hmm. staying in every night for a month, like putting some parties on hold and working on an audio book. That's going to make me feel really a sense of accomplishment and joy when I finish it. You know, that's sort of a long-term sense of joy, even though I might've forgone the short-term pleasure of going out those nights or whatever. Sure. Yeah. Okay. But then again, I like to go out some nights too. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So like we so, did tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so hedonism. I mean, it's an old tradition. I argue that actually, it's or not just tradition. I think it, you know it's, it's something you feel, but it's uh, it's the oldest. Uh, I think like you can't. You don't <laughs> the oldest profession, the oldest tr- religion, yeah, or the oldest, <laughs> the oldest philosophy. Or philosophy. <laughs> it really is. I mean, you can you can trace it all the way back to Sumer. It's it's as old as it comes. From the description here, um, Michel Onfray passionately defends the potential of hedonism to resolve the dislocations and disconnections of our melancholy age. In a sweeping survey of history's engagement with and rejection of the body, he exposes the sterile conventions that prevent us from realizing a more immediate, ethical, and embodied life. He then lays the groundwork for both a radical and constructive politics of the body that adds to debates over morality, equality, sexual relations, and social engagement, demonstrating how philosophy, not just modern scientism, can contribute to a humanistic ethics. Onfray attacks Platonic idealism and its manifestation in Judeo-Christian and Islamic belief. He warns of the lure of attachment to the purportedly eternal, immutable truths of idealism, which detracts from the immediacy of the world and our bodily experience, insisting that philosophy is a practice that operates in the real, material world. Onfray enlists Epicurus and Democritus, Democritus, Democritus. <laughs> it's a new disease, Democritus. Too much democracy, that's the cause. Democritus, yes. <laughs> on, lay, on free and list Epicurus and Democritus 
to undermine idealist and theological metaphysics, Nietzsche, Bentham, and Mill to dismantle idealist ethics, and Palante and Bordeaux to collapse crypto-fascist neoliberalism. In their place, he constructs a positive hedonistic ethics that enlarges on the work of the new atheists to promote a joyful approach to our lives in this, our only world. Now, I agree. I like that because, yeah, I feel like getting bogged down and focusing on all oh, this life is just a blink of an eye compared with the eternal. Yep. It's really the eternal that matters. Um, yeah, I totally disagree with that. I think this life matters a lot and this is all we got. So we might as well make the best of it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I want people to understand, like, this guy is a full on anarchist, totally avowed in, cool. in France. And he is a rock star. I mean, he is an absolute rock star there. Like, he's on TV nonstop. I mean, really? You know, yeah, he's wow. a huge deal. Um, in fact, I've gotten in arguments with people about philosophy because they're like, well, when is philosophy going to hit the mainstream? When is there going to be like a real philosophy school and a you know, private one and all that? Well, Michelle Onfray also has a philosophy school, blah, 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 blah. My point being is that there is a guy that already delivered all this, that brought anarchism, philosophy, and all that to the mainstream, happened to be in another country, unfortunately. Um, but people don't want to hear about that because, oh, it's not their kind of philosophy, so they don't like it. Yeah. Uh, even though, you know, just an incredible success. Anyway. Right. Right. Yeah. So Michelle Onfray, just a, a tremendous. I don't agree with him 100% on everything, but I mean, who agrees with everybody 100% on everything, right. you know? Exactly. Uh, but, I, you know, I do think that that book is really good. And The Atheist Manifesto, his other book, is also uh, very, very well done. So. Right on. Um, we also had somebody got a calculus book. Calculus, an intuitive and physical approach, second edition, Dover Books on Mathematics. I guess. Okay. Yeah. I wonder if it's a college textbook or. Yeah, it must be college because nobody's buying high school textbooks. Well, on Amazon, they might. Right? Dover is like a company that reproduces a lot of these old, like older texts that mm. are kind of forgotten. So maybe somebody just got it for their own jimmies. Gotcha. Well, speaking of Jimmy's, um, we have a book called The Virgin Duet. This is from Kindle by Alexa Riley. Um, Alexa Riley Ooh. seems to be a rather popular like romance or, you know, contemporary romance author. It, here's the plot. A gorgeous, obsessive billionaire alpha, a curvy, sassy <sighs> bombshell from the wrong side of the tracks. Both virgins. When Bex and Bray make an arrangement, they have no idea what it will lead to. Sexual desires and lusts that cannot be contained. Will Bray let chaos rule his perfect world? Will Bex let love into her cold heart? Will Kindles ignite from the sexual heat? There's only one way to find out. <laughs> Will Kindles ignite? <laughs> Warning, flaming Kindles may cause serious injuries. Please read responsibly. Wow. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, Two ninety nine on Kindle, the Virgin Duet, and it has a girl with pink hair on the cover. I bet that sells well. Nice. Um, I like pink hair. Yeah, I've and seen. Purple. You know, I've seen some of Alexa Riley's books on Audible, like up for like looking for narrators. I should audition for one sometime, but I don't know. Straight romance, maybe not the hugest priority, but I don't know. I would do anything that sells well. But uh, yeah, that sounded fun. Hmm. And then somebody else got another kind of romance or sexy book, Shivari, the complete series by Kara McKenna. Shane thinks he's simply auditioning a new musician for his bar, but when Gabriel saunters into the Shivari, it becomes clear that the man has more to offer than just his talent. Gabriel's got sexual charisma potent enough to make a straight man like Shane lose his... Ooh, it's gay! Yes! It's gay! <laughs> Gabriel's got sexual charisma potent enough to make a straight man like Shane lose his senses, lose sleep, lose himself to dark desires, and not want to find his way back to reality. 
What follows is not a love story. It's a story about an unforeseen attraction that brings a strong, sane man to his knees and about lovers tangled up in each other too deep to know who's in control and who's helpless. Hot on the heels of a nasty breakup, Natalie's truck dies and strands her deep in Louisiana's sweltering backwoods. Oh, I guess this is a uh, this is like a different book in the series. Yeah. A glow beyond the trees and a haunting melody lead her to what she hopes is salvation. The Shivari is more than a bar. It's a mysterious oasis where people go to escape into a cold drink and lose themselves against a warm body on the dance floor. Gabriel is the resident musician, gifted with unnerving talent and intoxicating sexual charisma. The only thing standing between Natalie and the perfect rebound is Gabriel's possessive and domineering lover. But Natalie's not afraid of a bully. Clearly one built like Shane Bru- Clearly not one b- built like Shane Broussard. She's ready to s- discover the perfect remedy for heartache. Two hot male bodies and one long, sultry southern night. Ooh. Oh, yes! Yes! <laughs> this sounds awesome! Oh, my God! Not only is it gay, it's a threesome. Hey. It's bisexual. Like me. <laughs> um, in the tea department, we had a two-piece stainless steel mesh tea ball diffuser. This is one of your standard tea balls. You know, it's like a little mesh in the shape of a ball, like two hemispheres, and you put the tea in the middle, and then you close it, and you, you know, and then you stick it in your tea to let it steep. Nice. Yeah, those are pretty cool. Seven bucks. Ho hum, not as interesting as the uh, the Virgin Duet or Shivari. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so let's see from the office products department, and we're going to be wrapping up soon. We just had a lot of stuff to do this week. Um, from the office department, we got a non-slip rubber mouse pad from Cafe Press, and it's SOA Jacks, and it has a picture of a shirtless man with like a giant tattoo of a skull on his back on the mouse pad. I don't get it. Huh, it's, let me see. Oh, I just closed the tab. Sorry, uh, sweetie. All right. um, do you want me to open it again? No, here? it's not that important. No, here I did. I, I opened it again here. I'm just curious if like, I know the character. Yeah, you might. Um, here, can you see it? Uh, I'm coming over. Here he Live comes. radio. <laughs> do you know the character? Nope. All right. Okay. No idea. Well, apparently the the news to me is now Cafe Press sells stuff on Amazon I didn't know about. Uh-huh. And it's 10 bucks for a mouse pad. I mean, it must be some good character. Um, someone got a fairy tale lanyard um, f- with anime characters on it. So it's like it's like a lanyard to hold your keys around your neck or a conference badge or something. But it has little anime girls on it. Nice. Pretty, pretty cute. I mean, I could see it being a a kid's stuff or a, a adult who is young at heart. Um, Prismacolor Premier Colored Pencils, soft core, 72 count. So 72 different colors of colored pencils. Man. I betcha. Well, I mean, colored pencil is a great medium for art. Um, I have a set of colored pencils. I confess, this is a bad confession. I bought one of those adult coloring books, which with like the trippy flowers and forest scenes and stuff that you could color in but i never and i bought some colored pencils to color it in with never used it (laughs) (laughs) really sad um somebody got a a uh, mattress cover milliard tri-folding mattress ultra soft removable cover and non-slip bottom better than a folding bed oh wait a minute it's not a fat mattress cover it's a full-on mattress but it's only 69 dollars. it's like a single kind of like a little pad i guess maybe it's it's like a gigantic pillow probably like a gigantic pillow yeah Yeah, like that maybe you'd use it camping or something yep um and you can just kind of roll it up 
Nice. Yeah, perfect for a tent, comfortable night's sleep. I mean, that is a good thing to have if you go camping because every time I've gone camping, like, you know, I try to use those little pads, but like you're always sleeping on some branch or roots or something. Yeah. Ooh, ouch. (laughs) Um, In the outdoors department, let's see. We got all kinds of stuff here. I'm going to try to um try to be quick and open up some of these tabs. Well, somebody got an airbed. There's that. It's oh, a good win. Yeah, I like airbeds. I've got an air mattress. I actually when I was working on my PhD, I brought it to the lab with me because I was afraid at some point maybe I would have to sleep in the lab because <laughs> I was doing an experiment overnight. Thank goodness, never had to do that. I definitely had some late nights where I was there till two in the morning, but I'd never slept there. Um, I probably would have lost my shit if I did. Uh, but I did loan it to somebody who like didn't have a mattress or something, and I think they gave it back to me. I'm not sure. Hmm. Anyway, um, this is an Intex Comfort Plush Elevated Durabeam Airbed, 22 inches, queen size, for fifty six fifty. I mean, shit, we should get one of those and go camping. Yes, we should go camping. That's fucking awesome. For Absolutely. 56 bucks, you can sleep in the woods on a mattress? Like, hell yeah. I want to do that. I had a cuddle session on one of those mattresses once. Ooh. Won't say anything more than that. <laughs> what else we got? Uh, race wax ski brush set, snowboard set of three. So these are these things where it's like, it's like a wooden board with like boar bristles coming up out of it. And it's like for you to wipe out the snow off your boots when you come in from skiing. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, somebody must be getting ready for like a camping trip or something. This is awesome. We got the Sport Near um, rated to 18 degrees Celsius or zero degrees Fahrenheit sleeping bag, 90 by 39, Army Green. And it's a bonus compression sack that comes with it so you can carry it around. So it's just like a sleeping bag that's rated to like zero Fahrenheit. Nice. 55 bucks. That's pretty good. I like the color. I have to say I love olive drab even though it's like associated with the military. Oh, yeah. I know you do too, Brian. Yeah, like I I feel like it's just some – I want to say to myself it's some irrational thing. But, <laughs> no, it's a great color. It's just had the military happened to realize it was a great color too. <laughs> yeah, next to black, like the hottest, the hottest color a woman can wear is all drab. drab yeah. And I just like I just lose my shit. It really brings out my eyes because my eyes have a little green in it them. It does. It like, works great hazel. on you. Yeah, yeah. that's oh, my man. favorite color: eyeliner and eyeshadow. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I'm sexy. I know it. You are. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we got a bike mount: Ibera Rack Pack Pack Rack Bicycle carrier plus mounts on a um mounts on something i don't know probably mounts on your car not sure but it's a bike rack it looks pretty good i don't know much about them so i'm just gonna leave that be dakin snowboarding pyramid studs i guess they're studs for what a snowboard or something they look like you know what it looks like you know those belts that punk rockers used to wear and i wore them all the time those belts with the little stud but the studs are shaped like little pyramids oh on the belt, it looks like that, and there's a, it's like a nine pack of them. And now I don't work, know where you put them. I don't. I have no idea what you do with them, but it's like from a ski store called the Ski Bum. Huh. And they they have like adhesive backing, so maybe you put it on the bottom of your snowboard to get or more you traction, or your put skis. them on your boots to maybe maybe put them, them on stylish. your boots. Yeah, maybe you just put it on yourself to look cool. I'm not sure. Um, we got the Dakin Edge Tuner Tool. Um, it's a precision guide for side edge filing so that you can file your skis or snowboard, I'm guessing, as well. That's pretty cool. So somebody's getting ready for winter. I yeah. mean, that sounds pretty pretty fun. Um, 
We also have a stage scraper, 150 millimeters clear. I'm about to find out what that is in just a minute. Um, A steel motorcycle helmet lock carabiner combination with six feet of coiled cable. Nice. Universally compatible with motorcycles, motorbikes, and uh, scooters. Um, So let's see, what is that? As soon as the tab loads, I'll be able to tell you. Yeah, it it looks like a carabiner with like um, a, a red like curly cord almost like a headphone cord on it that i guess like locks something to your motorcycle or locks your motorcycle to something it was 25 bucks not bad and it has like a combination lock cool so you can lock up your bike or motorcycle um we have the winter steger free ride ski and snowboard ski and snowboard tuning vice so this is um you you like it's like a clamp it's like a like a vice clamp kind of thing that you clamp onto your skis or snowboard. I don't know if it's to like maintain a curve or curvature or like, I don't know, hold something onto it or what. We, you know, the world may never know. So many of these things are mysteries. And then we have the stage scraper removes excess wax from ski or snowboard base. So somebody's getting ready for a yeah. big freaking ski trip here. That sounds really fun. So thank you for using our um, our link for that. Um, especially those tuning vices were seventy five bucks. So we got a little little nice commission off of that. Maybe we can buy ourselves some ski passes with with those, <laughs> or you can take a skiing. Whoever you are. In the pet supplies, um, <laughs> we had uh, some dog toys, and we also had uh, some dog apparel, a doggy apparel. Now, I've I've been saying I love those doggo memes that have been coming out lately, um, and I still love the doggo memes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just picturing the dogs wearing some of these things. The pictures are still loading here, but oh my gosh, yeah. So we've got. A pet bandana that says, I heart my mommy. It's like a brown one with like I and then a red heart, my mommy, pet bandana. And then we have a pet sweater. It's a doggy sweater, red sweater with white reindeers. It looks like your standard ugly Christmas sweater and a size medium. So I guess it's a medium sized dog with a uh, chest girth of about 16 to 18 inches. So very nice. I like that. Um, We also had in the pet department, we had one of those... It looks like a bone. It's like a, it, it looks, actually, it looks like a barbell, like a dumbbell that you would use to lift mm-hmm. weights. It's got like a bar in the middle and then two balls on the ends, but it has like little spikies all over it and it's orange. So this is a thing for a dog to chew on. Nice chew toy. And it's called Champion Dog Toy. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, the dog is jumping on it and he's the champion. <laughs> and then we also had the Kong Jumpin' Jack Dental Dog Toy, which is like, it it looks like it looks like when you know when you play jacks when you were a little kid and you throw the jacks and it has like it's like a star like a 3D star um it it looks like a big one of those and i guess it also sort of like scrapes the dog's teeth at the same time and helps keep their teeth clean oh so, bonus. so there is a lucky pupper out there maybe a lucky pupperino i'm not doing sure doing a heckin doing a heckin happy dance at, at all its new toys um <laughs> uh in the tools department, we got something called the flat bastard file. <laughs> I mean, I've heard of a fat bastard, but not a flat bastard. This tool was only five bucks, and it looks honestly like a glorified nail file. But in the description, it says, high quality, new, with eight exclamation points. <laughs> so <laughs> obviously, somebody's got a sense of humor here. Um, <laughs> let's see. 
What else do we get? Um, we got a My Little Pony Friendship is Magic Rainbow Dash Continuum playset. So somebody likes Rainbow Dash because we got that hoodie. And this is also like, I don't know, it's just like a little toy where it has like a purse that could also be a house. And then there's Rainbow Dash that's like outside of it with her rainbow hair and her like glasses because I guess she's doing some aviation or something. She's doing a nice, she's doing a heckin' nice, too. Just like that doggo <laughs> that got the toys. Um, also in the games department, we got a jumbo deck of big playing cards, full poker game set, measures five by seven. So these are actually like just big car- playing cards. It's a standard deck, but they're just jumbo size. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this is good, like probably for old ladies who want to play bridge but can't see very well. <laughs> or <laughs> if you're Gambit. Or, yeah, or yeah. maybe if you're a kid or something. Yeah. Um, we got a... F- a cosplay fairy tale Lucy Hartphilia PU leather ca- leather keychain case bag pocket holder. Um, now that sorry, the title is kind of confusing. I think they did that for SEO. But what they're showing is a is a extremely busty character in a bikini who has a very impossibly oh, yeah. skinny waist, but her tits are popping out of her bikini top. Yeah. And she's got this belt around her waist where she has like a little leather pouch that's probably holding a knife or something. So you could be her. Boobs not in- <laughs> boobs not included. You could be her. You could be her. Um, we had this is kind of cool. A multi-purpose uh, ID alert bracelet with custom free engraving. So this is a silicone bracelet. It's like one of those medical alert bracelets, huh. but it's a silicone bracelet with a metal. Um, tag on it that you can have engraved with anything you want and it comes with it when you purchase it and it's only $22 plus 8 bucks shipping so you could put anything you want on it nice yeah it's pretty cool. cool and so they recommend some of the things they recommend are runners fitness triathletes religious ID and kids ID so I mm. guess if you have a religion that wants you to not be we want to skip the religion know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Save you some money in the long run. <laughs> if you want to put like Jesus loves me on your sleeve, you know, you could do it for $22 plus $8 shipping. Um, we had an NFL. Uh, now, I wonder if that person got it for like, you know, some people have instructions like if they die, okay, freeze my head quick. Yeah. You know, they have that insurance policy from Alcor. Maybe they got it for that reason. We literally have a friend that wears a necklace around his neck that says, okay, if I die, freeze my head. Seriously, guys. Just wear a shirt. But I wonder, like, what would they do? <laughs> what would they do? I don't know. I guess they'd, they'd pass it along the chain and your head freeze would probably rot. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we got a, so last week we had this Green Bay Packers blanket and we talked about how the NFL like copyrights the shit out of everything, but they're also a 501c3. Well, we also had an, someone's a fan of the Green Bay Packers because we also got a, um, a cowhide wallet. Like it's a trifold wallet, but it's embossed with a Green Bay Packers logo on it. (laughs) No, nice. Yeah. Also 22 bucks. Wallets are nice. Have you ever, yeah, I like wallets. Um, have you ever been into football, Brian? Yeah, I mean, I I think there's like a point in kind of you know middle school, high school where everybody sort of is like everybody was not me, be, but well, yeah, maybe every boy, I guess. Y- I don't you know, know what I mean? I mean, like New York <laughs> is, you know, New York is a unique state in a lot of ways. I mean, wrestling is more the big thing in New York. Mm-hmm. I was definitely a baseball fan. Like I was nuts about baseball. I, I really I suffered from Mets fanitis. Um, I was, <laughs> you know, I had this. I always viewed football as kind of just 
gratuitous violence playing out in a game form. And I had this Randian guy, this Ayn Rand droid mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of guy who was, who was, I had this argument with him and he was trying to tell me that football is like this very intellectual sport and you have to do all these in- intellectual moves to win the game. And it's not really about brawn. It's actually about brains. And I was like, just super skeptical about that. Well, I think so. There's a couple thoughts on this, and I'll be quick. Uh, I mean, like one is is that it's so attractive to a lot of guys, particularly because like it's a perfect world where the rules there are very clear cut consequences and rewards based upon your following of them. Mm-hmm. Um, there is the idea that it is uh, war, you know, on yeah. the field. Um, I mean, I'll say this: like I. You know, when I, I went to uh, the Bills Stadium, I think it was called Joe Robbie Stadium in Buffalo, New York, mm-hmm. and it was something like it was awe inspiring. Why? What inspired your awe? Well, when you're just when you're going to your seats, you know, I mean, it's like seeing the Roman Coliseum. I mean, it's uh, just like yeah. it's massive. I and, can see that. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, there's really something to it. And I'll tell you where where football is actually at its best. And I think this might actually bolster that person's point. Uh huh. Um, which is when you play a video game of football, like uh, from the yeah. very first video game of football, like Tech Mobile. I mean, it's not the first, but it's the most popular for the Nintendo um, to like, you know, some version of Madden. I mean, the amount of style and and real strategy and all I mean, that comes into it. Like mm-hmm. I, I wasn't I never re- like really loved football. Yeah. But I loved it when, you know, everybody came over. And we were playing like Madden 2002 or something. I mean, like that was just that was in- so intense. It was mm. great. I will admit, I don't even really understand the rules of football. <laughs> Never bothered to learn them. <laughs> I guess it's like Star Wars or it kind of didn't keep my interest and it went over my head. Um, I will say, I find football kind of strangely erotic in a gay way, like in a homoerotic way. Imagining <laughs> the guys smacking each other's butts in the locker room and just getting all sweaty and tackling each other. <laughs> it's kind of hot, actually. <laughs> well, can, can I share one more yeah, quick little story? Please. So, okay, so in New York, I I just I just said this. I just made this point that wrestling is the big deal in New York. You know, you know WWE and all that, right? Um, we we used to my friends and I we would play football like you know at, at a friend's field and uh, like you know just his his backyard, but it was like you know it's pretty fair sized, and so you could use like football field of of a sort and. We were like, we got bored with it. We're like, ah, this, you know, playing it like, yeah, this is fun, but you know, can we spice this up? And so we started taking what they did in, in the WWE where we bought a bunch of like aluminum pans and like trash cans and all this different stuff. And we just started putting it on the field and like, we would whack each other with these, you know, trash cans and everything, like, like all these foreign objects, <laughs> like you'd funny. see in a wrestling match. Oh my God. And, and oh, it was the best time. Like that, that was awesome, but it wasn't great. You didn't get hurt though, right? And, you know, oh. but well, you know, but anyway, it, like it wasn't really fun until you brought those things into the, the it's like then suddenly yeah, you know, it's Blood Bowl. I had um, these boys that lived on my street. They were brothers and they were about my age and they used to reenact WWE kind of drama, like wrestling, <laughs> wrestling thing. And they filmed it and it was on the local TV station so you could watch it. <laughs> It was really funny. I, they had wonderful. like a trampoline in their yard and they used to like wrestle on the trampoline and it was on the local TV show. That's fantastic. It was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, cheers to you guys if you're out there. Yeah. <laughs> you know who you are. Uh, in the uh, in the in the costumes department, we got a couple more things and then we'll wrap up here. Um, 
in the cosplay department, we got a fairy tale Lucy Natsu Dragon Eel Guild Sign Metal Wrist Bracelet. So this is like a leather braided bracelet with a dragon kind of golden charm on it. Right. Definitely looks like it could go with a, a good, be a good accessory to go with a cosplay costume. Sure. Maybe it matches that leather satchel for the knife. Mm. Um, we got a 5,000 count bottle of white airsoft BBs. 0.2 grams each. Oh, all right. Uh, Crossman for for 10.99, so that's cheap. Having you know, fun at the office. Stick it in your BB gun and shoot it, I guess. <laughs> um we got an Amana clean and clear refrigerator water filter. So, always important to we talked about water filtration earlier, no need to harp on it again, but always important to change your refrigerator filter like once every 6 months to a year. You know, just so you don't, like, end up with black water coming out of your refrigerator. Yep. Um, Bobbles of Time men's fairy tale pin back buttons, 1.25 inch. Now, these are like anime. Do you see this, Brian? You see there's anime characters oh, yeah. on the buttons. What is this from? Uh, I'd have to get closer. Yeah, I don't recognize the anime. I'll get closer. <laughs> Based on the anime called Fairy Tale. So there's no. this this yeah. dude, this guy and girl, this this dude. No, not my speed. He looks badass. I'm, uh, you know, Sailor Moon, Mobile Suit Gundam. Yeah. Well, um, I will say, um, they're cool pins. Like they, I used to, I used to deck out everything in pins because I used to be like yeah. a little punk rocker chick, and I would put pins on Still everything: are. my belts, my backpack, my not not like in my skin. That was a little too far for me. But AFI um, December Underground. Oh God. Yeah. Um, I don't know what was going on with him. They were like, you know, when AFI sounded like just like the Misfits <laughs> when they were like old, like before they got popular, I really liked them. But I didn't like that album, December Underground. They I love totally the opening, got too popular that, and sold out. Yeah. Um, and Davey looked like a girl. He has the same ca- haircut as our producer, MK Lords, has right now. Um, <laughs> finally, a Star Wars puzzle, thousand piece puzzle, Buffalo Games, Droids of the Resistance, Star Wars Episode 7 uh, puzzle with all the droids. So it has C3PO. Um, R2-D2 and the new one, B-whatever, B BB. BB-8. BB-8, yeah. And then finally, the last item, the crown and glory, the Sminker Portable Survival Aluminum Tactical Pen. This is a pen you can smash a window with or smash someone who's attacking you with. I'm a big fan of these. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in. This has been Sex and Science Hour. Stuff at sexandsciencehour.com or just sexandsciencehour.com if you want to contact us or listen to our old shows. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.